0: All right, this is Plain Spoken, and this is my third guest that I've ever had. This is episode three, and then we've been dividing the episodes into two parts. I originally thought we could cram it all together, and that was stupid. Um, so we've already done part one, talked through some very interesting stuff. I would urge you to, to watch that, listen to that if, if you have the time. But now it's time for me to uh, give attention to Kira. I, I think that uh, we only learn when we step outside of ourselves and step into other people's shoes for a bit. And I think that's what worship is and why we need congregational worship so much. We come out of ourselves and, and walk into the life of Christ and the congregational life. But there's also something to be said for just spending time in someone else's life and and learning from them. And it um, doesn't mean that everybody has their own truth that is unquestionable, but it does mean that, that I'm not limited to my own experiences and my own reasons. So um, I guess I'm Giving a sermon, but I need to be done talking, um, and I just want to turn to you now, Kira. I've known you in what capacity? I've known you for a couple of years, but it's, it's very limited. And I felt kind of guilty about that actually because I've known you're a really neat, conscientious I hate that word neat, but I like, I like you. I, I, think, I think highly of you, and I haven't taken the time to get to know you. We're Facebook friends, I've watched the different chapters of life unfold since we met each other in the training for becoming foster parents. But I don't really know where you come from. James Lambert, who I had on last week, he's like, you should have Kira. You need to hear her story. You shared some of it in a Facebook post last night. Um, but uh, it, it begins with birth, and it goes there. So just start at the beginning of your life, and and then I'll just ask questions if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's okay. great.
1: I love that. So I was born to my parents. Yes. And my parents were both married before, um, had very broken marriages, had kids, Um whom I love my siblings, but I did not grow up with them. Um, so life was very different. So I have four brothers and two sisters. All older, from all previous older. marriages. All older, okay. all from previous marriage, and then there's me. And you're the baby. And I'm the baby, and I am what most would say spoiled, got everything that I wanted. Um, I was As I was growing up, my parents um, really fought to have their life the way they lived their life. Uh, my dad came from a really broken family, and my mom um, didn't come from a broken family, but came from a work-hard family. and so um, Blue-collar? Blue-collar family, okay. yes. And um, then I was born, and I grew up in the Free Will Baptist Church. So that's where my grandparents attended. That's where my parents attended for years and years, um, until I was about five. And I was in a Sunday school class that tried to tell me that I was wrong for drinking chocolate milk and I I have this vivid memory of sitting around this table who I I loved people and I love those people even to this day Um, I go see them often Um, and they put a white milk and a white milk and asked me which one I wanted to drink with the chocolate syrup right here and I said the chocolate syrup with the white milk because nobody likes white milk that was my reason. But theologically, it was explained that I shouldn't have drank that one. I don't want to be this person. I want to be like Jesus, the whole, the white milk, you know, just a very... Is
0: this a racist undertone thing? What is this? I, no. I've never heard of this. No,
1: right. That's what I'm saying. It, it was intense. And so to explain it was... It was
0: not It was not about races mixing.
1: Nope. No, it was about white milk as whole. Jesus. That's who we're called to be. And the chocolate milk was the white milk. Was it just
0: a metaphor? Yes, it was
1: a metaphor. It was just a metaphor. Oh, okay. So they're
0: not saying if you drink chocolate milk at home, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Right. No. Oh, thank goodness. But
1: I chose the chocolate milk that day. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. And it
1: rocked my world. I went and told my parents. My parents were like, oh, we don't agree with this. Um, Because the way it was perceived was that when I go home and drink chocolate milk, that I am a sinner. That's the way it was portrayed
0: to me. What a confusing! I was just in the series of unnecessary offenses right. given at a church. All the right. things we could divide on. Right. Okay.
1: And I was five years old. Yeah. Mind you, I recognized this at five years old. Went to the Southern Baptist Church in Woodward, Oklahoma. I probably shouldn't give all this information away, but Southern Baptist Church in a you know smaller community. Um, loved going to church there. Um, really thrived. But something was off, and I never knew exactly what it was until I got older, and I realized that there were no women Mm -hmm. in leadership, and Mm -hmm. that changed um, my perspective on Jesus. That changed my perspective on the church, and I got baptized actually at the Southern Baptist Church in Woodward, and I was baptized with my mom. She had never been baptized before, and she she grew up in a a church that – And a family who was very doctrinated, so it was very odd that my mom had never been baptized, but we got baptized together, and then...
0: At the Southern Baptist Church. At the Southern Baptist Church,
1: and um, we stayed there for a really long time until I was in fifth grade, and we moved to a small community just west of Woodward called Shattuck.
0: Yeah, I've heard of Shattuck. And...
1: you know there are great people in Shattuck, but it's small community, football loving town. Um, grew up in this community. The school was a very interesting school. Uh, lots, lots of people. Um, lots of um, yeah. I don't even know where to go from there. Anyways, um, grew up in a small church there, uh, the first Methodist church. Went there for, in Shattuck. In Shattuck, yes. so that's
0: where you were first initiated into yep. the Methodist. In ways. the
1: Methodist world, this I is started the way. going yeah. there for VBS. I got invited by a friend to go to VBS there, and in Shattuck, they—you'll find this interesting—they did a vacation Bible school for the whole community, except for the Baptist church.
0: That's petty, man.
1: Yeah, well, there was a female pastor at the Methodist Church.
0: Oh, wait, what? Wait, I thought you said the Methodist Church did a VBS for everybody except the Baptist Church. That's what you said? Correct. Oh, so the female pastor at the Methodist Church was petty towards the people who didn't acknowledge her authority? No. Okay.
1: No, it was like the Baptist Church pulled out.
0: Oh, so it wasn't the Methodist saying, y'all can't be a part of it. It's the Baptist saying, We shall not be a part. Okay. Correct. Okay.
1: So I found that really interesting at a young age because it was the Methodist, uh, the community-wide VBS and then the Baptist Church. And I participated at both of them Mm because I wanted to be really active at this point. But this was my first experience with a female pastor, first experience in the Methodist Church, and I fell in love Mm -hmm. with the pastor, Uh, not in a weird sort of way. Say her name. Uh, Lisa Beavers. Oh,
0: okay. And I know Lisa, she yes. became
1: a mentor of mine and, um, her family kind of took me in. So um, she knew
0: you from uh, how old?
1: Um, I was in fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. Her family, um, started foster care and I babysat for them even before they did foster care. And so, um, we're fast
0: forward, you're a foster care parent. Do you think that's because of Lisa's uh, ministry in your life?
1: Definitely. So, wow.
0: Definitely. So that
1: was a, start to it
0: oh that's wonderful yeah all right let's go back
1: and so um lisa's family kind of took me under the realm but not only just that lisa put me under her wings at the church and said
0: so like equipped you for ministry yeah like started training you in yes, the way, okay
1: i preached my first sermon at shattuck and it mm-hmm. was terrible just ask her there might be a video somewhere It was horrible. There have
0: been a lot of terrible—anyway,
1: yeah, no worries. But it was okay, Um, and that was the first time my dad had actually come to this church with us. My mom and I had been going for a while, um, and my dad, being a hardcore Baptist, didn't believe women were called to be in the ministry. Right, yeah. Um, And so he came the first Sunday that I preached, and it was a game-changer for our family. Um, shortly after that, um, I started getting in the realm of the Methodist Church, and I went all in. Um, I felt a call to ministry in, I think, 2008, I think was the year, so I was in eighth grade, um, and went to Lisa, and I was like, I think I'm called to ministry, and that's when... Was this
0: at church camp that you experienced this? No. Oh, It wow. was
1: actually in the church. You weirdo. I know. Man, everybody feels it at camp, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... You know, again, I was equipped for ministry there, and Lisa introduced me to many other women in the United Methodist Church who then became mentors to me as well, um, and it just grew from there. Lisa. Are there any
0: other women you want to lift up as uh, especially influential in a good way for you?
1: Yeah, um, so there's like Amanda Lockwood, who's in the western sure, side of yeah. the state, and um, Becky Pearson, who's actually in Tulsa, mm-hmm. fed into, not fed into me, poured into me quite a bit. And there are so many others that okay. have, If you think of any others, you yeah. can lift them up
0: at any time. But There's I just so think. so many of them. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but those were the core, I would say, a core group. And then. Um, there are just so many women yeah. um, in the conference. That have So
0: you to felt afford. called. Lisa had already been yeah. equipping you anyway. Yeah. And then um, you graduated from high school what year?
1: Yeah, 2013. Um, and right after high school, I went to Europe for two months and got to travel around. And that was a lot of fun. Came back and um, just kind of left my parents um, and went to college at Southwestern Oklahoma State University. Went there for a boy. Let's be real. Um, and that was the worst decision of my life. Really? Yeah. Um, why would, why?
0: Kids would, don't go to college. It's the worst decision of your life. Don't
1: go to college and follow a boyfriend yeah. or girlfriends. Yeah. Who, whoever you side with there. Um, don't do it. Okay. Go to college for you. Go to college to know who you want to be oh. or who God has called you to be. Okay. Right. Okay. So I went to college, went to Southwestern Oklahoma State University. Um, can I say the word Hell.
0: I, yes i think so yeah
1: because it was hell
0: i already said damnation
1: okay fair yeah. enough i mean it was like the worst time of my life college college
0: college is the worst don't go to college kids
1: it was terrible why was it bad i partied okay a lot yeah and me i too. made really bad choices yeah me too yeah and you know my friends were not did you
0: think you were in hell while you were there I mean, pretty much. Really,
1: it was bad. Okay, it was bad. Even though I see, was- I thought
0: I was, I thought I was living the high life, and it's only in retrospect that I'm really embarrassed and saddened by my.
1: Yeah, uh, it was very superficial. Yes, and I think of hell as very superficial. In the, I shouldn't have said that, but the hell realm, it's real, but like, it's not real. Like, it's very superficial. It's, it wasn't. Really God is me. not there, and God right. is real. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and so that's where I. I did college, um, and I bounced around from friends' houses, and I um, chose to do not smart things. Okay. Oh, dude!
0: So you were just like legit, just uh, a uh, uh, rascal yeah. running around. Oh, wow!
1: Yeah.
0: Were you in touch with Lisa at this point?
1: Uh, yeah. How I, did she what? minister
0: to you when you were being a moron?
1: Um, she just still took me under her wing. At this point, she had moved from Shattuck.
0: Did she know? Did she know that you were? Oh yeah. Okay.
1: Oh yeah, she knew. Okay. She knew, and she still loved me. Like, well, of crazy. course, she still
0: loved you. Did she try and wake you up?
1: Yeah, many okay. times, okay. and I was just blinded. I think I was blinded by um, the liberal side of the church. I was blinded by um, when you the say church that in general.
0: So that's that's quite a thing to lay down. Let me try and pick it up. But yeah. the liberal church would say, "There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God." Correct there is no sin that you can do that, that, that can, uh, have any real consequence. God loves you Mm -hmm. and sure you might say and do and participate in things that, um, that you don't feel good about later, but you know what? They're not a big deal. It's not a big deal to God and it it shouldn't be a big deal to you. So you do you, whatever feels right, follow, and then just come to church and stay our friend and everything's going to be okay. That's, is there anything lacking from that portrayal no, that of liberal is, theology? That
1: is exactly where I was. Whereas in conservative
0: theology would say to that young lady,
1: What are you doing? Get yourself up. This is not what Jesus wants for your life. Uh-huh. You are called to be better and bigger than this that is happening in your life. And that's exactly what Lisa was doing, but I was blinded by it.
0: What about this really judgmental, uh, let's say, um, fundamentalist voice that just says, um, you call yourself a believer, I've seen you, uh, this is not how believers live. Here's the things you told me, yeah. here are the things that are clearly in the Bible, you need to repent right now, because if you die, you will not be in God's embrace.
1: I don't think I had anybody who actually did that.
0: But is that approach, I mean, we're standing at this this cultural moment mm where a lot of people would say that voice from the past is no longer welcome today. Mm -hmm. That might have been how people once spoke to each other and it could be received well. That voice can no longer enter, not just into the public, but even to private relationships. That kind of speaking does harm. It wounds relationships. It causes self-hatred. We cannot speak to one another in that way. I don't think that's true. Okay.
1: I think when I go on mission trips, which I just came back from Costa Rica not long ago, And we had those encounters. Okay. You have to walk away from this because if you die tomorrow, where are you going? Yeah. And those are the real conversations we had to have because we were in some nasty places. So I think those are just as valuable as what was happening in my life. Uh,
0: And even though it wasn't laid out for you in that way, God still chose to save you out of that. Yeah. So are you ready to tell that story? Yeah. Okay.
1: So um, at that time, I was associated there. Um, life was hard. And when you say there, hard. you
0: mean on the streets between houses? Yeah, just okay.
1: but I wasn't homeless. You weren't? I, well. I was just kind of bouncing around. I had a house, but I didn't like staying there. I would rather stay with other people who were doing other things and not with my friends there. I hear there. you. Okay. Um, and um, life life was hard, uh, made bad choices. So um, after that time, I was working in the church at this point. Um, I was... Um, in youth ministry, and I knew what I was doing was wrong, but you know, something something wasn't sitting right with me. So I decided to then pull out of the church. But I was still being very much fed it. thirst. Oh my gosh, my words um, being poured into. At even outside time. of the church, even outside of the church,
0: God was pouring into you. Yeah. What was He
1: pouring into you? He, the Scriptures. I mean, I was still going to Scripture. I was still you were
0: still reading your Bible. Yes,
1: I was. Even still though you were living Bible.
0: in sin outside mm-hmm. of the church, you were opening your Bible and
1: yeah, yeah. Well, that's weird because I knew I needed to be doing it. It was
0: actually that's not weird. Here's why. Well, so I shouldn't have said that's weird because my own story is whenever I was living in, in deep dark sin and in, in uh, undergrad. I would have these dark nights of the soul and they would keep the chapel unlocked most nights. And I would go in there and they had a United Methodist hymnal, And I would sit there and sing these songs that I learned Mm. when I was a child. And it was that theology that, that eventually kept that door open for me to uh, the Lord. So I shouldn't have said it's weird. Well, yours is more legit because yours was the actual word of God calling you. Whereas mine is just the, the pale reflections of the word. That's so
1: good too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Sorry. Um, So it's not weird, but it's, It's really a wonderful blessing that you were able to turn to God's word even when you were separated from the community of faith.
1: So at that time, Elizabeth Horton Ware was the Wesley director at Swasu, and she then became a vital piece of my walk. And while we disagree now on a lot of things, Mm -hmm. she was pouring into me, and she was bringing Jesus to life for me. And in my five years at Swasu, that's where I looked to was – her leadership, but also, like, show me the scriptures. We challenged each other even then. Um, and it was at that point, at the the four-year mark of my college education, that I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, something's not right within me. and You can't
0: do college anymore, or you can't do sin anymore? I can't
1: do sin anymore. Okay, yeah. I can't do this life anymore. Yeah. It, not in a negative way that I wanted to harm myself, but... sure. I didn't want to keep living like this. I I wanted to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And it may have been my third year of college that this actually happened. It was my third year of college that this actually happened. So then I got a job at Life Church at an open network church in Elk City, Oklahoma, and I was driving back and forth. And I had some amazing mentors there, um, James Dean and Jillian Dean, who are not United Methodist, um, who just Poured into me and at this point I walked away from the United Methodist Church because I was hurt I was confused about what was going on because at this time it's 2014 2015 and um, the church was broken and I I knew what I were was- you so hurt by? the politics
0: So you became aware of denominational politics yeah and very what was early your on. what was your response at that stage of your life to our denominational politics?
1: Um, I was very liberalized. So at you this point you still. you were a
0: person of the left at yes, this point, and absolutely. you saw the anxiety between left and right. Yes. And at that point, it was why are these mean conservatives so mean? Why don't why don't they let us change things? Right.
1: So I left the church. Okay. And that was what I found. I left the United Methodist Church. I didn't. Oh sure, yeah, yes.
0: You were in Life Church, now.
1: Right. So I'm there. I'm but being, Jesus
0: isn't in the Life Church. I'm just kidding. Jesus I'm sorry. Go on go, right. on. go on. Go on. Go <laughs> on.
1: So at this point, it was revealed to me who Jesus actually was. And I told you, like, I've read scripture this whole time, and I knew something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And it was then that the Lord just opened my eyes. He changed these lenses and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I remember having this very vivid conversation with Jesus, these interchanging of words like, okay, then show me where you're at. So Jesus himself
0: says... Um, the eye is the lamp of the body, but if the eye, if the lamp of the body is is not whole, then the light that comes in is damaged, not good. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and if if that light that comes in is no good, how great is that darkness? So, mm-hmm. would you apply that scripture to your life before, where you were applying this liberal lens to let the gospel in, and and it was filtering out essential components of the gospel that Absolutely. you
1: needed? Okay. Absolutely. And so I stayed there, I think, for almost three years, maybe two and a half years. Um, And then I felt a call to enter back into the United Methodist Church. And so I applied for a position at Sepulpa First Methodist and landed there as the youth minister.
0: Was Alan there?
1: Alan was there. And he's still there. He is still there. Um, And he poured into me. And it was like... Never, it, nothing I would ever experienced before because it it was back in the Methodist Church.
0: I focused on Alan Schneider and I didn't hold on to the details before. How did you go from Life Church to the Methodist Church again? Sorry, yeah,
1: the Lord called me back.
0: So you were, but you didn't move. There wasn't a move from one house to another that you were living in, uh, one town to another. Mm-hmm. There was just it was you were in Life Church and the Lord communicated to you in some sense. Mm-hmm. It's time to go back to the United Methodist Church. Yep. Okay. And so I
1: started applying for jobs everywhere, Florida, Nashville. I wanted out of Oklahoma, let's be real.
0: But you, these were jobs in ministry? Yeah, these okay. were
1: youth ministry positions. Okay. I knew that I had a good connection with young people. I knew that I could connect the Bible and real life yeah. to them.
0: And you'd and, seen some real life. Yes. You are now finding yourself, you're at Unsepulpa serving this church. You didn't want to be in Oklahoma, but here you are, and you're in a youth minister role, mm-hmm. and you're pastor. That's a good relationship, yeah. and you're growing, and then what?
1: Yeah, and it was amazing. I was able to transfer to Oklahoma Wesleyan University and finish my degree. So mind you, I had already spent how many years at Swasu, never got a degree because I just was too busy doing other things. Um, And then came to, had 96 hours when I transferred out of Swasu and transferred to Oklahoma Wesleyan University, graduated in a year and a half with my undergraduate degree in ministry and leadership and said, I'm called to go to seminary. I know. And I knew from the beginning in 2008, when I received my call to ministry, that I was called to be in pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. but you know, we all have broken lives and we all decided to Trevor off, but I ended up applying for Asbury Seminary and began in the fall of 2019. And that was a life changer for me. Um,
0: Did I meet you in 2019?
1: You met me in 2017.
0: Good night. Yeah. So you were just a youth pastor. At yeah. That point. yeah, and so in the youth just pastor, a youth pastor right. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. It's
1: okay. Just a youth pastor who um, acted as an associate pastor in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. that's the story of most youth pastors. But what I left out of there was when I moved to Sepulpa, I could not find a place to live at all. Um, we had searched up and down places, and the Lord was calling me to be here, but there were no doors opening. So of course, at this time, like I felt like the devil was like pressing on me not to go there Mm -hmm. because I think he knew the ministry that the Lord was going to be using me there for. It was the last place a week before I'm supposed to be starting my job. And we walk into this apartment complex and I say, Hey, do you have any one bedroom apartments? No. um, But we have a two bedroom. And I was like, "Mm, I really don't want a two bedroom. And it was at that point when they showed me that the Lord revealed to me, I was on my hands and on my knees when I walked into my apartment in Sepulpa, that the Lord said to me, this is what I've called for you. Hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? So did you
0: hear the voice of God? Yes. Man, Rudy hears the voice of God too. Okay, so you heard God's voice saying this is the place for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Is this such a frequent thing that you hear God's voice that it's just a part of life, or has it only happened a few times for you?
1: No, it happens all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's very frequent. God and God and I have dialect a lot. Okay, it's it's kind of scary sometimes. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: So God spoke to you there. This is the place for you. You took the apartment. You had the job, associate pastor, growing. Mm -hmm. You got enrolled at Asbury. Did you move to Kentucky or did you work here and then just remote?
1: I stayed yeah. in remote, and clarification, I was youth minister, but acted as yeah, position. Yeah,
0: that's fine. Let's just call you head pastor. We might as well just put you in charge. <laughs>
1: Let's not do that. Okay. Alan was the head pastor. Yeah. Um, Alan's a
0: former pastor here. Yes. I think you know this. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I started filling God Calling Me to foster care. I'd felt this call before, but wasn't in a place to do it. I had helped foster oh, care so all the this time. Oh, so the two-bedroom
0: thing. Okay, that's yeah. what the other bedroom's for. Yeah. Cool.
1: So I immediately started saying, hey, okay, God, what what do you want me for? What do you want me to do? you want me to do respite? Do you want me to do this? And he just cl- very clearly lined up the way for me to begin with Circle of Care. Um, and that's a Methodist Organization ish now. Um, It's kind of. It used to
0: be uh, attached to us under our umbrella, but now it's its own 501c3. Right. right.
1: Um, It's a foster care agency that kind of led me through um, this call that the Lord had placed on me. And I started my journey at 21 years old and started fostering. And it's been a crazy ride there, but no doubt in the life of the Lord that that's exactly what He's called me to do. And so in the midst of that, um, I was dealing with some significant health issues. Um, I had endometriosis um, that we knew of, and I knew that from a young age I would never have kids, um, but it wasn't a reality yet. And So
0: at what point in your life did it become clear that you had medical conditions that most people don't deal with?
1: Little. I was little. Okay. I was like 10, Okay, 10 or 11. I, I've had a lot of surgeries and... I would say I was 10 and I had a hearing impairment that we knew I had. I was completely deaf in my left ear in my right ear. I had, you know, 70% of hearing, but I still needed AIDS to assist. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I was first grade. So seven when we found that out. Um, and then I had bladder issues and couldn't figure out what was going on. And then it was at the age of, I think 11 that I started puberty and it was like, something's really wrong. I couldn't go to school half the time because I was just so sick, Mm. Um, just bundled over in pain. And that was the
0: endometriosis. And that
1: was the endometriosis that no doctor knew anything about at this time. It Mm. was like, sorry, you're just having your period it's fine. Yeah, And it wasn't normal. I was in the ER multiple times. Um, My parents were taking me three and a half hours to Oklahoma City to OU Children's trying to figure out what was going on. And we couldn't navigate it. I was having stomach GI issues that were coming out of nowhere. We had no idea. Um, I ended up having gallbladder surgery really young because my gallbladder wasn't functioning. Mm. And my body was just not doing its job. And it was very frustrating. Um, and that was from a young age and my parents were very, uh, meticulous. I think that's the right word. They were doing everything that they could to ensure that I was going to the right doctors to make sure that everything was getting done that needed to be done for my health and for my safety really. Um, and so, You know, this continued. And so, fast forward to 2017, I um, was fostering and pastoring and going to school, and I just kept getting sicker. And I was like, what is wrong with my body? And so, I had been going to an OBGYN and loved her, and she's in Oklahoma City, and she just started pouring into my life, not only just health wise. But in my Christian walk too, and she said, you know, I think the Lord is trying to show you something here. Maybe open your eyes to what He's doing. And how that's quite like, a medical
0: diagnosis there,
1: right? But she poured into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And It was great. And so it was the next year came around, and and it was like it was 2018, and I had already been through um, already been through the district committee, decom. Um, and met Amanda Lockwood at this time. And she she came to me and she said, hey, I have a question as as a pastor, not as the decom registrar. And I said, yeah. She was like, I saw on your paper that you had endometriosis. And it was then that I was like, oh, no. What is God about to do? Mm-hmm. And Amanda started sharing her story with me and it matched my story, mm. and I was like, oh my gosh, this is someone who I need to really connect with and 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 hear God speak through, mm-hmm. you know, and that was who the Lord placed in my life that the doctor, I think, was talking about. My doctor had no idea who she was, but she was there, and mm-hmm. that's who the Lord placed and changed my lenses, yeah. and it was at that point that I realized that I needed to have a hysterectomy. At 23 years old, I'm Needing a hysterectomy, I'm never going to have kids in myself, but then the Lord has me in foster care, and it's just so many—I was being pulled so many different ways, um, and it wasn't until 20— The
0: solution to your suffering was already in grasp, but you'd been holding on to things that— uh- not only weren't the solution, but we're now actively causing you pain and complicating. Right. So, yeah, there's a good sermon allegory there. Mm-hmm. How many people try and walk with Jesus and keep sin in their life? Right. You know, there needs to be a removal. Yeah, it doesn't work. Jesus could have expanded the when your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. When your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. When your uterus causes you to be in great suffering and pain, get cut that sucker out, man. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. So it was 2020. COVID had just started, and I had already had six surgeries from 2016 to 2019, mm. um, trying to get my female organs to work and it wasn't working. Yeah. Um, my doctor was willing to try everything with me because I was adamant.
0: God bless you for sitting down with just some hick man and explaining all your feminine yeah. stuff to. I think it's going great. <laughs> Let's keep going.
1: So in 2020 of May, I called my doctor and I said, I'm done. Um, I am done having these pains. I'm right. done living my life like this. I need a hysterectomy. She was like, well, Kira, we're closed right now. And I was like, put me on your books. Yeah. Please. I can't I can't keep living this This is way. in 2019? 2020.
0: 2020, yeah. Mm-hmm. The COVID lockdown. Yep.
1: It was crazy. Yeah. And I was in desperation. And I just kept praying, like, Lord... You've got to make a way. Well, first of June, they call me and they said we have you tentatively scheduled for October. I think it was fifth, and um, you're you're gonna have your hysterectomy. And I remember this peace upon me. Mm-hmm. I called Lisa. I called Amanda. I think I called um, Elizabeth Horton Ware too. And I was just crying because I was so joyous mm-hmm. that this was on the tables. It was on the books, and reality had to be there I I needed this mm-hmm. and I knew I needed it so fast forward push through I've had 35 kids at this point um in and out of my home I didn't
0: realize you'd had that many yeah That's amazing. I mean
1: that was through respite and yeah. foster care traditional yeah. and um in 2018 on September 5th I received my boy Job um he is your boy he is my boy every- yes oh he is my best friend and uh my baby and um we, we had a lot of medical issues with him, and it was... Which you're
0: uniquely positioned to minister... Yeah, to him take through, him yeah.
1: and do all of these things. Um, we share a peanut allergy that um, I had gotten because of medication that my doctor gave me that oh. was made out of peanuts, and it, it was just a crazy story. So sure, I know yeah. I'm going back and forth, but these are all... This is how
0: life is, yeah. Yeah,
1: very important pieces. So... Um, 2020, I um, get a call from DHS that there is a sibling that will possibly be coming into care. Um, think that you are going to be a great fit for the child. Uh, what do you think? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. That's a ways away. You know, we'll have to see. Well, um, and the
0: reason the distance matters is because when you're a foster parent, you're responsible for facilitating if possible, Mm -hmm. reconnecting them with their parents that are going to be in that. So it's a big logistical challenge. Right.
1: Absolutely. So had my hysterectomy. And um, so this is important information. I got this right before um, my hysterectomy. Had my hysterectomy. Told the doctor after surgery I was ready to go home. I didn't need to stay the night. I felt great. Mm -hmm. No pain medication, nothing. And women who are watching this, you know what I'm talking about, because hysterectomies are the beast. And most women... Did you say the
0: beast or the best? The beast. Okay.
1: They, right. They're they nasty. Oh, okay, sure. They're painful. Yeah. Oh, They're okay. terrible, they're, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. Most women have to stay overnight. Most women are in a lot of pain, need pain mills. But you didn't... I didn't need any of that. Oh, interesting. It was like Jesus healed me. Okay. I, not like he did heal me. Okay. And I was ready to go home. And the doctor made me stay the night, but <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. She stuck me with all the babies. Okay. My doctor stuck me with all the babies after I'm trying to process. You know, I'm not going to be a mom now, mm-hmm. um, but there was a unique purpose for that. Oh, sure. Life, yeah, and death, right? Yeah. And I connected this theology to the death of my uterus and the life of baby oh, giving.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: And it was a game changer for me. And in in the hospital, there were so many um, Jesus moments. There were women who were um, having m- women who had children who were deaf, which connected to me and my sure. hearing impairment. Yeah. Women that were nurses were asking me these questions. So it was just a big God picture in my life at that moment. So fast forward to, you know, 2021. Um, my health is getting worse. Um, I've now had the surgery. I thought I was fine. Um l- it just declined quickly. Um, this is last year. Yeah, this was last year. I was at my heaviest. Um,
0: so how how far back does the struggle with obesity go?
1: Um, from a young age. Okay. My parents are both were both obese. Um, oh,
0: have they been on a weight loss journey with yes. you? Yes
1: how, yeah, how fine. That's wonderful. So much fun. And Amanda Lockwood joined me on that journey. And Lisa is on that journey now. And it has just been a big community. Wonderful. Um, for me and for them. And it, it's been wonderful. Um, my weight went up and down. A lot of that was from the endometriosis. Oh, sure. Yeah. But also came to find out in 20, I guess I forgot to mention this in 2020, I was diagnosed with RA, which is rheumatoid arthritis and lupus.
0: That sucks.
1: Yeah, and my body was just shutting down, essentially. So in the midst of COVID, I need to have the That's surgery. quite a big
0: detail to skip over.
1: Yeah, I forgot about it. <laughs> I forget all the time. It, it's because I choose not to live with these problems.
0: Now, the reason I think you just motioned to me is I sent Kira yeah. an article by Susie Weiss, the sister of Barry Weiss. Who has a regular newsletter? I get an, uh, an article almost every day from her. Her sister wrote an article on a, a group of people called "Spoonies," typically young women who identify as uh, perpetually sick victims. And there is uh, a culture, especially online, where they exacerbate each other's suffering as they mm. delve into yeah. it more, and they create all this nomenclature and this culture around it. And at the end of this article, um, that it had been, it started off with this gal. It ends with her again, and she says, "I still." Um, suffer symptoms, but I don't identify as a sick person yeah. anymore. And I, I really get tired of the identity language a lot of the time, but it, it is useful in that we find our way of making our way through the world. And there are certain labels that we own that kind of inform how we interact with other people, yeah. how we spend our, our time and our thoughts. Dealing with the various conditions that you have, it would be very easy to identify perpetually as a sick victim. Yeah. But you're as you're suffering the worst through this, you're signing up for things that sick victims are not able to do. Right, And so God is equipping you throughout all this. And um, and yeah, I, I don't want to skip to the end of this story. You made a post, I, I guess I'm going to skip to the end, but we're going to come back. Uh, you made a post yesterday about, uh, I mean, you're obviously not uh, suffering from obesity anymore in a way that... Uh, anyone could see on the outside right. you're obviously much healthier than you have been you're you're still dealing with some severe ser- serious medical struggles mm-hmm. even so uh, god has seen fit to give you a a way of life that is is not marked by your sickness but marked mm-hmm. by flourishing
1: yeah yeah that's so true i'm going to get emotional yeah it is so true and it's it's beautiful and in this post i talk about self love but I also talk about how important it is for me to write. What recognize, book? What are you talking about? Uh, not book, post, sorry. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I did not write a You're book. You're writing a book. Okay. Post, I need to write a book about my life. Um, a post on Facebook about yes, yes, yes. self-love. But the most important part was at the end, and I said that today I'm thankful that my body chose to work. My body doesn't work half the time, but it's working and I'm able to take a step every day. I'm able to breathe, which, you know, I can, I'm going to go back and explain more. And then you'll understand why I just made that statement. Um, it's hard. It's hard to not just sleep all day. It's hard not to want to have this victim mentality. Yeah. But with Jesus, it's so easy not to. Like, it's hard because I'm human and I'm flesh, mm-hmm. but on the other end, like, Jesus is faithful, Yeah, and there's a reason. And in this post, I also share, like, I have a lot of questions for Jesus. Uh Why is my body made this way Uh is the biggest one. What ministry are you doing through me that I can't see, Mm -hmm. I'm blinded to? This tapestry underneath of this chaos that's in my life, and on top of the tapestry is a beautiful picture.
0: Oh, dude, let me tell you. Let me tell you what the point is, and it's not just the point. It's a point um, here's how I see you and why I'm particularly grateful for you. Um, so I'm, I'm a white male, straight, and good health, well-educated. I have no right to complain whatsoever. I cannot minister to people in the way that, that you do. Mm-hmm. You're a female, chronic illness, been through a way of life that's traumatizing, and, and many people, so when people talk about trauma, the notion is that you, have been through something, experienced something where people can no longer expect things of you. You're less than fully human. So to have someone who's gone through what you've gone through, who then lives a full life in Christ and doesn't have this self-image, has not been limited by it. Able to publicly uh, show this to others. And uh, that makes the gospel real in a way that I cannot, for large swaths of the population who identify as victims, as minorities, as oppressed, they're not going to receive ministry for someone like me. I can talk about freedom in Christ and power in Christ. They'll say, you are a straight white man. <laughs> of course you feel that way. Right. But to look at you and hear your story and to see that Christ is powerful, not just for guys who already have the mm-hmm. cultural assumed, but to, he's powerful for you and he's equipped you to do that, puts flesh and bones on the gospel in a way that they need, yeah. that I cannot provide.
1: Mm, thank you. That was good. Still you
0: already knew that probably. I already knew that. Yes.
1: But still, Jesus. But people
0: watching this don't necessarily right, know right. that. And so often people right. are suffering and they go, "Why on earth would Christ allow this?" you right. know? And they they participate in a vision of God right. where uh, he's powerless and he can't right. stop it. But no, I I think yeah. God actually does allow us to right. suffer. Yeah. Well, the Bible says so. Right. So that we might be disciplined. The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves, and he apparently loves you quite a bit.
1: Right. I agree. I think he loves us all so much, and it's finding where that love is actually at. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's back up a little bit Kay. and go to 2021 again. Um, I got dy- 2020 got diagnosed with RA and lupus. 2021, I start on this health journey, and I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because I was like. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I'm this large. I'm embarrassed that my body is not working. I'm embarrassed that I can't do the things that I want to do. I have a son who needs me at this point. I have a uh, 15-year-old daughter who needs me. I have a little baby who's one-year-old that I got in um, 2021. And I have a family that needs me. I, at
0: this point, was, was your husband in the picture?
1: Yeah, he was in the picture, but he was like a side role. If yeah, you weren't sense. married yet. You were only married, married like a
0: month and a half ago. Yeah, I got You're married. You're a newlywed. <laughs> June, yeah. yeah. Um, but how did he come into the picture? Sorry, I need Yeah, to, yeah. so
1: I didn't share that part yeah. yet. So he came into the picture in 2018, actually, but it was kind of a very iffy relationship. It was hard. I didn't want. You
0: were the, living in Sepulpa at that yeah. time? Yeah, okay. I was
1: living in Sepulpa at Y'all that time. Y'all met on a dating site or what? Uh, no, actually, he works at the ER in Sepulpa. Oh, he's
0: like, oh, got a hottie coming in, needing <laughs> yeah. help. Yeah. Can I so get your number? The first time we okay. met,
1: I cut my finger, uh, my thumb pad at youth. A kid handed me a green bean can. Shout out, Kinsey. Thanks for doing that. Um, my finger cut open, and that's where we met, was at the ER. Um,
0: you went to the ER for a thumb cut.
1: Um, my whole thumb pad came off. <laughs> oh my so god! Oh <laughs> um, so I wish you could see it. That's so gross. Okay, all I right. I passed out. Okay, they okay, called sure. the ambulance.
0: Fine. Okay. Um,
1: Ended up in the ER. That's where we met. I was wow. dating somebody else at the time, and then it came around about that a church member worked with uh, my husband or my now husband. Yeah. Um, and they were like, "You're a perfect match." And we say his had, name. It's
0: just Walter. Walter. I'm yes, so sorry. Walter. Wilson. Walter worked at the ER. Yep. The, the church did what it's here to do. Yep. One of the many things it's here to do, yeah. which is connect our young people with yeah. ho- holy good spouses.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was a rough go about. Was so he I, a believer at that time? Yeah, he okay. was. Um, he's actually Catholic.
0: Oh. Whoa. Game okay. changer.
1: All right, go on. I know. On. That's fine. Um, so it's just a really hard relationship. I don't want to act indifferent. I,
0: I'm sorry. I got street cred to protect. I don't want to act indifferent to Roman Catholic doctrine. Yeah. However... I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. He's a wonderful man, obviously, because he's drawn to a wonderful woman. And, uh, uh, I do not think that Roman Catholics are the same as Mormons. Right. Which I'll talk about some other time. Right. Go on.
1: So true. Um, so he was kind of in and out of our life at this point because we're not married, we're not engaged. He's helping out whenever he can. He doesn't really want to help out, he wants to have a relationship with me. And I was like, Well, if you want a relationship with me, you gotta help me with my kids. You gotta love my kids and you gotta love me. That's rough, isn't it? So complicated. Yeah. So complicated. So all of that in a relationship so he was kind of in and out in this picture until 2020
0: and then he was all in and then then he was all in um
1: he walked through the hysterectomy with me walked through my health issues with me 2021 started my health journey with me um god bless walter straight through we had all these kids we got engaged in 2021 at a time in my life that i was like oh do i want to be engaged do i want to be married like i'm really enjoying the single life even though i have so much help why would you
0: enjoy the single life you're a crazy person i
1: know i know i am and the story of jesus is crazy too yeah, yeah so yeah. it just fits yeah um so went but through... now you're
0: at peace as well yeah. otherwise you wouldn't have done it yeah yes okay.
1: exactly so went through 2021 um was good. Um, had bariatric surgery actually that a lot of people don't know that I actually had, um, in September, actually yesterday was my year anniversary of having bariatric surgery. i had gastric sleeve. I worked my tail off to get that surgery because in no way, shape or form should I have had that surgery with my diagnosis. Really, I, I know that that causes like my comorbidities helped me get those surgeries, but I had to do a lot of other things with Bailey Medical. And a lot Center of people who that. are not
0: medically versed don't know that's putting a band around part of your stomach, right?
1: No, it's like cutting out a piece. Oh, of your they stomach. surgically mm-hmm. removed part of the yeah, stomach. Yeah, so I okay. have like a banana stomach. Okay. Right. So. So
0: you just cannot intake the same amount right, of food five as five ounces. Okay.
1: Roughly, and I definitely monitor what I eat, how I drink, and so. Oh
0: sure, you have to have nutritious stuff now because yeah,
1: because yeah. my stomach doesn't take a lot of things right. and malnour malnourishment can be a thing right. and I have to just be very careful on what I'm eating so I had to like have a mindset that I could do this and previously I had exercised so much but it hurt my body and I knew that I wanted to be running half marathons in fact I ran one in 2019 it was like 4 hours and 50 minutes like Come on, y'all. That's a long time to be running. Um, I actually walked most of it and I was mad at myself for that. And I knew I could do better. And so I needed to lose weight, but I couldn't lose weight because of all my health issues. So I needed this kickstart. And so I had gastric sleeve and it was a game changer for me. Um, So then life is good. Walter and I decided in uh, February of 2022 that we were getting married um, in June of 2022. Um, said we knew this was what the Lord was calling us to, but we needed to separate some things out of our lives um, and really pray about what God's intentions were for our relationship and our life together. And we, we did that over from 2021 of February to February of 2022 um, and felt so much peace. And so um, I'm in seminary at this time. I have been reappointed to a different church. So I went from Sepulpa to Restore Hope and then restore hope to Bristow, and then Bristow to Southern Hills, where I've been at for the last year. And I'm in my second year of ministry there. Um, And the Lord works in mysterious ways, but he made a way. Um, And my church has been so gracious. My churches have been so gracious with my health conditions. Um, and so fast forward to May of 2022, I went to Israel with Tom Harrison. Right. I did a thing called Churchcraft, um, that created a community of evangelical believers. Um, and, um, wow, that was a game changer for my ministry, a game changer for my life and a game changer for scripture for me. And so went to Israel and... Came back. I got sick while we were in Israel one time. I passed out almost. Ran to the bus. Um, didn't know what was going on. I thought, oh, it's a fluke, it's my blood sugar. I had blood sugar issues because I was larger and I had lost all this weight at this time and I just thought it was blood sugar again. Came back. Um I had To the US? To the US. I came back to the US after the trip, had annual conference, went to annual conference. Mm-hmm. Um, went the whole rest of the summer until July and I went to Costa Rica and I realized then that something was really, really wrong. Um, my body was not doing what it was supposed to. I was exhausted. I needed to sleep. Um, I was angry. I couldn't figure out why I was angry. In February, I had broken my arm, um, because I tried to break down a door, um, because my child oh, locked right, himself yeah. in there, yeah. but I tried to break down the door with adrenaline this is, of anger. This is
0: normal foster care behavior. Yes. As, as normal yes. people hear this, oh, yeah. she's breaking down doors. No, there's no. there's uh when you're dealing with foster children, you're talking about traumatized children I, that have dysfunctional behaviors yeah. that sometimes are a risk to themselves yes. and, and it, it requires an you to amped up. Situation, right? Yeah. So I yeah. amped
1: up and and I don't know that I was angry, rather than it was just like a fight or flight mode. Sure. And so I tried to break down the door, broke my wrist got it off before Israel, and then right before Costa Rica, I fell down the stairs, and I broke my hand again, and it was like, something's wrong. Yeah. Something is wrong that I'm falling. Something is wrong. It's not abnormal with my hearing issues for me to fall, fall, trip over something, yeah. essentially, because my balance is a little off, but this was different. Yeah. I had the baby in my hand, and I fell down, and oh, my gosh, it scared me. It scared me. So I went to Costa Rica, realized something was really wrong there, and um, came back, had an appointment with my rheumatologist, and they said, hey, Kira, are you feeling okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And she was like, Kira, you're not okay. Stand up. And that's when I almost passed out. And um, my heart rate was 37, um, which is normal for an athlete, uh, which – I have ran many, many times. I ran a 5K the Saturday before. I ran a 3240, which if you're a runner, you understand. That's great time. Um, but something was wrong. My body was shutting down again, and we had no idea. So my doctor took me off all my meds at this time, which is a big deal for RA and lupus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was on nothing. And she said, well, we need to figure out what's going on, so let's baseline this. She says, you need to call a cardiologist. Get off the phone. Call my dad. My dad freaks out on me sure he says this is what set me in the hospital um you have a heart condition you need to call the cardiologist today and back up my dad had a heart attack a series of heart attack 12 of them mm-hmm. um my oh junior my year of high school and nearly died died yeah. on the table once came back to life and repetitively things he has heart disease um but i've never had to deal with this and so um got in to the cardiologist, his cardiologist, the next day. It was a God thing. Um, He said, "Mm, we're going to run this test and this test. We'll figure it out. I know your dad's history. I know your mom's history. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Month later, which was yesterday, went to the cardiologist and had to do a stress, not a stress test, a tilt test. Um, And a tilt test is where they take you on a bed and they put you at a 75-degree angle standing up and a lot of people who have issues pass out quickly i made it 12 minutes and then i was like okay coming in and out of consciousness and they were like oh we need to give you the hydroglycerin in 3 minutes you need hydro to or nitro Nitro, okay. nitroglycerin, yeah. and stuck it under my tongue, passed out in three minutes. We knew something was wrong. And the guy and I were conversing. We knew something was wrong because I wouldn't have been here anyways, but we were making bets. Yeah. We said if we were betting people, this is what we would do. Okay, sure. And so passed out on the table, um, laid me down, came back to my heart rate kept plummeting. My blood pressure kept plummeting at this time.
0: Had you already said yes to coming on the show at that point? No. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay. No, I hadn't yet. Okay. okay I didn't okay. even see your message yet. So um, I.
0: Some people would be dramatic. Well, not dramatic, normal. They would say, I'm going through a medical episode right now, and I probably shouldn't be driving an hour to go up here on a show. But you're here because you're connecting this in the way you're about to show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so went to the doctor, and they gave me two diagnoses, new diagnosis. Tells me that I have to go on these medicine and I'm likely gonna get a pacemaker. Okay. Right. Yeah. My body failed me again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. This is a is a story of my life. Yeah. My body just keeps failing me, but in the midst of the chaos, yeah, there's a beautiful picture to be made, mm-hmm. and the Lord is using me, right? And so I drive home, I say yes to coming on the show because just felt like the Lord told me I needed to, Yes. Um, and go to a district meeting and have the time of my life. I mean, I was in Oklahoma City. My, my cardiologist is in Oklahoma City, and then I come back and um, went home to my children, and it was a wonderful day, and just processed through what the Lord was doing yesterday, and it's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be a Christian. Oh, yeah. And it's a good day to be a believer in Jesus and trust that he has a way.
0: Well, the, the, the thing I, I'm wanting to ask you about now is you've, you've been chronically sick since 10 years old. Yeah. It's been a big part of your life. And, of course, there's been a desire for normalcy and health. And, of course, there's been disappointment and fear along the way. A big part of our faith speaks to our mortality the reality of death, the reality of resurrection. Um, let's imagine that that a lot of people watch this interview for some reason. There are a lot of people who, um, I think we live in an era that's remarkable for many reasons, one of which is the avoidance of thinking about our mortality and death. I think we avoid it like the plague. Even Christians, especially Christians, avoid it. We see it as a sign of like failure, that God has like abandoned us or something, right. when it's actually the opposite a lot of the time. Um, but you have had many invitations throughout your life to contemplate your m- mortality and prepare. Mm-hmm. What's what's the thing typical people, especially within the church, need to hear about this from, from, how old are you? 27. A 27-year-old who has been reckoning with death all her life and is reckoning with, you know, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? Well, surely much of your life you've said wretched girl or woman that I am who will save me from this body of death. And then the next line it's thanks to be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But where's the comfort in that? What what comfort do you offer as a person who's who's been walking through that way to someone who is scared to death to come to terms with this soberly and proactively? What what do they need to hear?
1: That it's okay. That Jesus has got you all the way. That even in the midst again of the chaos, even in the midst of the hurt. Scripture tells us to be faithful and thankful for what He has given us. So there's a reason for everything, and I know that's not probably what you were wanting or looking for. No, I, I think it's. A <laughs> I very, just want your wisdom. I that's... think it's a very Christian view. Yeah, I mean, but the reality is, is like Jesus has me. And whether I die today, whether I die tomorrow, or whether I die ten years, twenty years, thirty years down the road, I'm faithfully serving Him, right? Mm-hmm. And so through this, there's beauty. Yeah. It's it's beautifully chaotic. I mean, that's my life. Yeah. And and that's my story of my health.
0: And the way so a lot of people uh, get frustrated with me because I have to put things in my own words, but I mm-hmm. think that's. How humans are. I think we have to, in order to take other people's lived experiences into ourselves. I think we have to process, that, yeah. process them. The way that I'm processing you is, um, if you were a person who is defined by your limitations, a self-pitying person who didn't sign up for things that are ambitious because it might not work out, I would I would look at that as a sad life. Yeah. I would look at that as a tragic life and as i as i hear about you talk about your own life now i i am sad to hear about a number of things and no part of me is oh it's all good you know i mean i, I uh, you know if we were not if we didn't have the cameras on and we were just talking intimately like this i probably would have cried a couple of times yeah. you know to to just imagine what it's like to yeah. to to be in some of the moments you've been in um but to lead a life that uh, you use the word beautiful and i would use that word too but it's 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 beautiful because it's in spite of so many forces of darkness. You know, I I think chaos is the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. we serve a God of order, and um, well, I'm gonna leave it at order. Um, and to see that in your life that that chaos has been uh, even before the fullness of the kingdom has been known, God has has owned the chaos in your life so many times mm-hmm. to show off, yeah. um, and that you've been a vessel of that is just a uh, I think it's a wonderful testimony. So I hate that you felt any pressure to say anything at all that you thought I wanted to hear. I want to hear the truth from um, someone who... Um, the the reality for me is that uh, I haven't had to put my faith to the test. I've been very privileged in a number of ways. Um, so I I... You know, it's like... Christians in America don't know persecution. You know, yeah. when you talk to Christians yeah. in Nigeria, you're like, oh, you're a real Christian. Yes. Yeah. But I, I believe that when we're bound together through the Spirit, that I can surreptitiously or um, there's a there's a right word for it, but there are ways in which what happens to you can impact me in a very real sense. Yeah. There are ways in which Christians in, in Nigeria very much impact my faith, and so... Um, there have been times where I've actually been inclined to think the Lord doesn't love me because I haven't suffered, yeah. as many people have, but to be in connection with people like, like you who know the valley of the shadow of death and that God has been faithful to. That encourages me and makes my faith more real. Yeah. And so I, I hope that's been a blessing for anyone who, who takes the time to listen to this. I, I think it's been a real treasure. Um, we, we had talked about having a conversation about women in the pulpit and stuff, I think that'd be too much. We've already yeah. talked a lot, yeah. um, and this was a huge blessing. Maybe we can get together for another time and talk okay. about that. But um,
1: My story is a long one, but it's a good one. Well,
0: how about this? I know you have one more good anecdote about God's power in the midst of tragedy. Yeah. How about—I'm going to tell you what that story is yeah. uh, in just a second, and then after that I pray for you. Yeah. And then Okay, so James— Lambert told me, he didn't tell me on camera, but he told me about an incident where you were in the middle of preaching, and your one ear that had 70% went to 0% immediately, and then I'm not going to spoil it, but God got involved, and and things are not like that now, so tell that story.
1: Yeah, so I was preaching at Bristow, and um, my hearing just dropped. It just went away, and I came out of the pulpit crying because I was like, "Oh no, this is what I feared my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm deaf. This is never gonna happen." I texted James, told him I needed to be prayed for. Um, he got a group of people together. Um, it was Brian Mingan Chuck Horton, um, Katie Hill, um, James and his wife, and some other people at Asbury. I may have missed a few people, but those are the people I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Simes, uh, Matt Dudkins, all of them um, just kind of came together and prayed over the phone and over me. And um, that was my first real experience with the power of prayer. Like, mm. I've told you all of this. This happened in 2020, okay, in the midst of everything. Yeah. Um, I had been appointed to a church that um, was in Bristow and it was my first appointment and my church had been broken into. So this was like shortly after that. And I'm like, all this chaos. Right. Uh Um, And so we come to this time of prayer and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what's God gonna do? Like I don't know that I really believe in this. Like I believe that Jesus can heal, but I've never seen it happen. Sure, yeah. Um and so I had a hearing appointment. I, I could feel as they were praying, like things happening, but I just wasn't sure what was going on. Yes. So I went to the doctor and Let I
0: mean sorry, you are at Asbury. I was uh, at
1: Asbury getting prayed for. Asbury,
0: yes. there are people gathered around mm-hmm. you, laying hands laying on hands you. On me. There there are people on the phone. Mm-hmm. Is everybody praying at once uh, out loud?
1: S- yeah. Some of them were, some of them were waiting. We were taking turns. I mean it was both. It was okay. just like a simultaneously time of prayer, right? And was before there my anybody speaking in day. tongues? Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Was everybody speaking no. in tongues? Okay. No. Just a few. Okay. Yeah. Just All a right. few people.
1: Yep. Um, And I go to the doctor afterwards and my hearing is bad. I mean, we knew it was bad. And it was just like, we're not going to give up on this. Like, there has to be something. Let's let's try something. So he was like, well, let's try injections in the ear. And I was like, oh, steroids. Steroids made me crazy one time, made me end up in the hospital. Uh, I didn't remember anybody when I was younger when they were trying to figure out my hearing issues. Um, I'm scared to death of this. Mm-hmm. My parents are five hours away. I don't have anybody here to, like, take care of me. Oh, and my children, mm-hmm. right? I need yeah. help. Yeah. Um, and so we did it didn't it didn't matter this this fear at this time did not matter it was what can god do Mm -hmm. so we went the medical route and we we did the shots and we came back and prayed again and um the hearing test at that time just showed that my hearing was like 20 percent um and i needed a cochlear implant at this time but the the way the medical field works is you can't do those things quickly right yeah So I knew this was the case, and I just said, okay, God, I surrender to you. And I remember praying this fervently, just, Lord, I surrender this to you. I'm going to give this all to you because I can't do anything about it. I'm at a loss of control. And I'm sitting in the parking lot in Broken Arrow talking to Lisa, telling her these things with my hearing aids in that are old and nasty and grubby. And I can barely hear. Everything is staticky and I just hate it. And that's why I don't wear my aids because they're nasty. I don't like to hear all the things that I can hear with them because I've never heard this way. So The doctor orders an MRI. What I didn't share with people is that I had a tumor um, sitting on the lower side of my left nerves, system, spine, and ordered the MRI, and it was gone. The thing that was causing hearing to be not in my left ear was gone. Mind you, we weren't praying for my left ear. We were praying for my right ear, okay? The Lord has a funny way of doing things tumor is gone so we come back together and sorry no you're good
0: you already knew you had a tumor
1: mm-hmm. i've had a tumor since i was little
0: yeah there's no way to tell this story without jumping around right you knew you had a tumor in mm-hmm. there you thought the hearing issue was unrelated because it was on the other side mm-hmm. when y'all were praying you were praying for the ear mm-hmm. however god saw fit to miraculously remove that tumor. Correct. Okay.
1: So tumor's gone, and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to pray again. So Uh Chuck Horton and his wife Nancy come over to my house in Bristow because, you know, they live in Bristow at this time, and we're preaching at First Methodist downtown in Tulsa, and they come over to my house, and they're like, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to do all of this, and we pray again, and it's just like radiating heat in my ears. Like I can feel the Holy Spirit just moving and I'm like okay God okay God like something has changed something's different so then go to the doctor again the next week my hearing is better and we're like okay what do we do next so I go to my audiologist and we order new hearing aids and she lets me borrow these hearing aids that were um, at the office before we could get mine in because it was going to take a little time did that was wearing them they were helping and got together again and prayed with a group of people and it was like my hearing was coming back and I was like oh my gosh but this time it was in my left ear I have not heard in my left ear ever I was born essentially deaf um so they say right um and I had a little bit of hearing in my left ear and I can hear some things out of my left ear now so the Lord wasn't necessarily just working on my right ear he was also working on my left ear and um we we came together one more time to pray, and I think I want to say it was in December that we came back together to pray, and the Lord did not heal it a hundred percent. I don't even know what one hundred percent hearing would sure, ever yeah. sound like, mm-hmm. um, but He healed it enough that I don't have to wear hearing aids all the time anymore. That's bananas. Um, and that's it's, awesome. It's great. Yeah. And the Lord worked in some crazy ways that i never expected
0: dude that's so crazy that's wonderful yeah and there's a medical record all the way along that can show it too that's fun there is i love when that happens the
1: doctors have been amazed through the whole thing i haven't had to go back Um, i had to get my hearing aids fitted for class i do wear them for class to make sure i don't miss anything sure yeah um and so that's my part but i don't them all the time. I'm not wearing them right now. I'm also sitting right in front of you, and I can hear you well. I can read your lips, but I also am hearing you well, and that's something I've never experienced before. Well, and
0: for persmickety people, you know, uh, Jesus himself at one point was healing a blind man, spat in the mud, put on his eyes. Guy said, I can see, but looks like trees, people are trees. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus does again, it comes to completion. But yeah. if Jesus himself in one miraculous encounter, is not able to perfectly, then it's, I think it's perfectly within the realm of, of, uh, biblical understanding of miraculous healing yeah. that, um, full heal. It's not always hundred percent. Right. Um, you know, it's hard to discern the mind of God as to why you've suffered in all these ways, and I'm sure there have been a number of maladies you haven't even been able to talk about here now, because you have this whole lifetime of it, but then he sees fit, you know, Paul himself didn't even understand it, Second Corinthians, uh, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh, prayed for him three times to take it from me, he said, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness, yeah. so you get to, you know, it'd be one thing if we only ever saw that in Paul, and the rest, right. it was different, but uh, we see that story lived out yeah. over and over, and that's, part of your story.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Thank you so much for sharing it yeah, with me.
1: You're welcome. Happy to do that. Glad to share it with everybody else. Thank right? You. Yeah. God is so good. Yeah, all the time. He is. And I do want to share one more thing. Because do it. if my daughter watches this, she might be a little mad. So I have a 17-year-old daughter who I also adopted who came into our picture at a really crazy time. In fact, the same time that the baby came. And the baby is not adopted. And I have another kiddo who's not adopted, but they're siblings. So we have four kids. Um, and my daughter has been um, amazing through all of this, too. And she's also one of my best friends. She, she swears up and down that we are nothing alike, mm-hmm. but we are a lot of like. And yeah. her story matches perfect. And God made a beautiful story through that. Um, and so through the chaos, through the mess that life has been, God has been ever faithful and gave me children to love Mm -hmm. a husband to love. Mm -hmm. And I serve a mighty God in ways I never thought I would serve. So for that is my story.
0: Cool. I'll look forward to the next time we get to, uh, this is the nature of life, you know? So, uh, anyway, my words have finally failed me. So why don't I try and pray? Sounds good. Father, you are, uh, the essence of goodness, and we thank you that you have not abandoned us in this, this chaos that was chosen, but that you have you have chosen to save us out of the chaos and out of the misery and loneliness, out of the sickness and depravity, that you have called us to the kingdom of light and that you have sent your son Jesus to do what was required to get us there. We thank you for his atoning work on the cross and for the suffering that he went through and that is completed in the suffering of the saints for the ministry of uh, the apostles as well as Paul as well as every generation of true believers who knows that life is not about abundance in worldly terms but is about holiness and righteousness on your terms and we agree with our spiritual father John Wesley that holiness is happiness and that no matter what our Life circumstances are that we are, when we live and die in you, we are people most blessed. Lord, we live in an anxious time where people within and without the church are very confused about who you are and who you call us to be. And we are very sad about that and we're very frustrated about that. But even in the midst of all that, you've been so good to us. And especially to Kira, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done in her life. And, um, and the healing she's seen, and the ways in which you have ministered to her, even through suffering, and the wisdom that that has brought. So I ask your blessing upon Walter, and upon her children and her household, that they would continue to minister to her, even as she pours herself out into them. We know that uh, your son, Jesus, canonically poured himself out for us. And so now, in his remade image, as we are regenerated in him, we pour ourselves out for others. And we thank you for the profound joy and honor of doing so. Bless Kira in her ministry and in her Christian walk. And glorify yourself through her and through all of us. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks again, Kira. Yeah, you're welcome.